Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Lord, that tomorrow we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. So help us to understand what that means for those who are not saved and even for Christians who are not fully aware of all that God has done for us through his son, Jesus. Help us to go through the scriptures and lay a biblical foundation to understand your word. And in these times when we have time and we can study the word and we can pay attention and we can focus and we can ingest and digest and fully understand and comprehend your word without distractions, without anything bothering us or with schedules and timetables and agendas and all of that, putting everything aside to truly study your word, to put you first, to put your word first, and to ask your Holy Spirit to give us illumination, to give us revelation through your word. In Jesus' mighty name, in these times that through your word we receive faith and confidence to know that you are in control and that you have everything under your power. So help us to understand that and fully absorb it into our spirit, man, and to walk in that confidence. So bless the people hearing, even the ones that will hear in the future. Let the Word of God go into their spirit and let it establish itself fully and let it not come back void. Let it bear its fruit fully, hundredfold return on this Word. In Jesus' mighty name, let us have joy and confidence and peace as we go into Resurrection Sunday tomorrow, as we celebrate your resurrection to understand that you are the resurrected Christ, the Son of the living God. So let us broadcast and let us declare your name to the ends of the earth through social media, through sharing one another, through witnessing to each and, each and every one that we meet. Help us to be faithful witnesses until the end, till you return. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Okay, today we're going to cover Jesus as the Passover lamb. Tomorrow is Easter. Everybody celebrates Easter. It's a very popular holiday all over the world. But a lot of people don't understand what it means. Many have turned it into a, just a festival with Easter bunnies and Easter eggs. And it's just a complete mess. So we're going to clear through all of that popular tradition and popular uh, belief systems that a lot of people follow. When I was a child, I would love to enjoy Easter. And I was not even a Christian at the time. But I look forward to the Easter eggs and the Easter bunny and all the activities and the games. And and I was not even a Christian. I had no clue what the meaning of Easter was. I didn't have no idea who Jesus was. So today we're going to go through scriptures to establish the real meaning behind Easter and the real purpose of Easter. So let's just go to the Word of God right now, and uh, we'll go look at some scriptures. So let us see. Let us look at scriptures right now. Okay. Is the audio still good? Can you just text, just post a comment? I can have a, I have a window here that I can look at comments. So just let me know if the audio is clear. So before we go into the scriptures regarding Easter and, and Resurrection Sunday, let's just look at one chapter in the book of Isaiah that I recently read. And it is such an amazing description of what our planet looks like right now under this pandemic, under this threat of COVID-19. And all the nations are affected by this. Every country is affected by this. And the Bible explains it 
in an amazing way. If you go to Isaiah chapter 24, if you're watching it on YouTube, you can read it on the screen. But uh, if you're listening on uh, the podcast, I'm just going to read it for your benefit. Isaiah 24 verse 1. Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste, distorts its surface, and scatters abroad its inhabitants. And it shall be, as with the people, so with the priest, as with the servant, so with his master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. So the scripture is saying that it, this applies to everyone. doesn't matter which side of the fence you're on. Verse 3. The land shall be entirely emptied and utterly plundered. For the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and fades away. The world languishes and fades away. The haughty people of the earth languish. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants. So why has this happened to this earth? God gives a reason why. Because they have transgressed the laws, they have changed the ordinance, they have broken the everlasting covenant. So God is saying when we break God's commandments, then judgment comes, a lot of troubling times comes, pestilence and plague and, and all kinds of things happen. Even in Africa and Saudi Arabia, there's a swarm of locusts, like a plague of locusts, just like in the book of Moses, in, in the book of Exodus, how Plagues came upon Egypt and upon Pharaoh and his people. Today we are saying the same thing. Verse 6, Therefore the curse has devoured the earth, and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. The new wine fails, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh, the mirth or the joy of the tambourine ceases, the noise of the jubilant ends. The joy of the harp ceases. So all the music and the concerts and all of that just shuts down. All the musicians and everybody, they, they just can't sing anymore. They can't entertain you anymore because the joy has been taken out of their hearts. Verse 9. They shall not drink wine with a song. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. So people that are going to bars and restaurants and all of that and drinking away, all that is shut down. Everything is stopped. Even if they're in the house, then they say, let me have a beer, let me have a glass of alcohol. They can swallow it because they're suffering in their mind. They're suffering in their soul, in their emotions, in their thoughts. They're worried. They're scared. Verse 10. The city of confusion is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none may go in. Isn't that the reality right now? Everybody's home is shut down. Nobody can go in, nobody can come out. No visitors, no friends, no relatives, nobody because they're scared. Oh, you might pass the virus on to somebody else or whatever. That fear says, okay, my doors are shut. Please don't come to my house. If you come, the delivery comes to my house. Just leave it at the door. Don't come into my home. Every house is shut up so that none may go in. Verse 11. There is a cry for wine in the streets. All joy is darkened. The mirth of the land is gone. Verse 12. In the city, desolation is left, and the gate is stricken with destruction. I posted a video on, on Facebook, I think, of all the cities. They had videos of every city in 2009, 2020, 2019, and now in 2020. 
They showed the major cities, Paris and New York and all the big cities, Barcelona, New Delhi, full of crowded people and traffic and everything. And then the new videos where every crowded city is completely desolate. No cars, no people, nothing. Like New York City is a good example and Times Square and it's usually packed day and night and there was nobody on the streets. So verse 12 says, in the city desolation is left and the gate is stricken with destruction. Verse 13, when it shall be thus in the midst of the land among the people, it shall be like the shaking of an olive tree, like the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. It's like a harvesting. God is describing that as a harvest. Like everything is left empty and bare because all the grapes and the olives have been gathered and there's nothing left. It's bare. It's barren. Verse 14. They shall lift up their voices. They shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. They shall cry aloud from the sea. Therefore glorify the Lord in the dawning light. The name of the Lord God of Israel in the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we have heard songs. Glory to the righteous. But I said, I am ruined, ruined. Woe to me. The treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. Indeed, the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously. And this also concerning the politicians. They have released $2 trillion and whatever. Yeah, they're trying to rescue big industry and everything. And they're giving you a handout saying, oh, here are $1,000, here are $1,200, $1,500, depending on how much you made last year. That's a handout. That's like pennies on a dollar. While trillions are going to all the big shots, all big companies and big rich people are getting the bulk of the money and the rest of the money that is just left over is being handed over to the rest of the population. And this is going to end up in hyperinflation. When you print $2 trillion and you just pump it into an economy, it will lower the value of that monetary currency. So it's going to end up in hyperinflation. Everything goes up. The prices go up and the value of the money goes down. And that's what's going to happen six months, one year down the road. So people think, oh, the government's going to rescue me and they're going to come and they're going to save me. They are my savior. Yeah, for now you may think that. But what they're really doing is they're crashing the economy by pumping $2 trillion into the economy, which they just brought out of thin air. They just started the printing press. That's all they did. It's paper money. And when you pump that kind of money into an economy, the value of that money goes down dramatically. So if you bought a, a gasoline for $2, that same gallon of gasoline one year later will be $10 because the same value of that money has dropped so badly. Anyway, that's another topic for later. Verse 17, fear and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. 18, and it shall be that he who flees from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit, and he who comes up from the midst of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows from on high are open, and the foundations of the earth are shaken. And this is a future prophetic event. It's not happened as yet, but it's just a symbolic view of what is to come. This is not describing this pandemic, and it's not describing what is going on. It's just, just a shadow. This is an event that will take place down the road. A much worse crisis will come. And God is describing that in this chapter, Isaiah 24. And this is what it says, verse 19. The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. The earth is shaken exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall totter like a hut. Its transgression shall be heavy upon it and it will fall and not rise again. 
there's going to be a global shaking of the planet physically because of perturbations of other planets and, and rogue planets that will come through the solar system and it will shake the earth like it's never been shaken before, at least not in our times. There have been cataclysms on this planet a billion years ago. This earth is very old. It's not a young earth. The earth is very old. It has, you know, geo geological signs on this earth that this earth is very old. So it has gone through multiple cataclysms. And this one will shake the earth. The whole planet will be shaken like a drunkard. Verse 21, It shall come to pass in that day. So it's not yet. What I'm sharing is a prophetic uh, prophecy that will come down the road. But it's a symbol of what we're experiencing right now. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones. And on the earth, the kings of the earth. So God is saying all the heavenly hosts all the demonic entities and, and all the archangels and the fallen angels and all the principalities and powers and rulers of this dark age, they will be punished by God. They're the ones that are influencing nations right now. They're the ones that are causing men and women to stumble and, and do wicked things and influence them in the negative way and come against God and come against Jesus. God says, I will punish those principalities. And then on the earth, all the kings of the earth will be punished as well. All your rulers, your politicians, kings, Governors, mayors, judges, all of them that were in power, that did wickedly, God has a judgment waiting for them. Verse 22. They will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and will be shut up in the prison. After many days they will be punished. Then the moon will be disgraced and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously. So in the future, when the New Jerusalem comes down from heaven and it will be established upon the old Jerusalem in Israel, God Almighty will rule and reign from there. This is an end-time eschatological prophecy regarding the book of Revelation and that day is to come. And God will judge and punish all the wicked kings and rulers and even the principalities and powers that are over nations and governments. God will judge them and, and he will deal with them in a severe way. So that is just a little uh, symbol or a shadow of what is to come that we are getting a taste of right now. It's a humbling process. It's a time for people to really wake up and reprioritize their thinking and their way that they look at this earth and their lifestyle and the society that they live in. Right now, who you thought were your best friends and your buddies and your colleagues and all, they're all gone into hiding. Nobody around. There's nobody. You can't go looking for somebody because then the police will stop you and say, what are you doing outside? There's curfew everywhere. There's a lockdown everywhere. They say only for essential things like groceries and pharmacy and hospital. That's it. Or to fill gas. That's it. You can't do nothing else. We have never experienced this in our lifetimes or in our previous generations. Even the older generations are shocked. They say they've never seen something like this on this earth. So the last two generations that we are on this earth right now, we're like, what's going on? Everybody's wondering, why is this happening? This is biblical. So let's understand Jesus as the Passover. What does it mean when Jesus is called the Passover, the Passover lamb? So what happened in the Old Testament that God established this festival? The Jews till today, the Israelites till today celebrate Passover. When you hear about Jewish festivals, the main festival that they always talk about is Peshach or Passover. What was that? And people say, oh, they're the Jews and they're celebrating Passover and that's their, that's their thing. 
and let them do whatever. I mean, we can't do that. It's their, their celebration. And they don't invite you to that. It's their festival. God told them to do it. But he was giving them a clue. It was a puzzle. It was like a jigsaw for them to figure out. That, look, I'm telling Moses to do these things, but it's a symbol of my son Jesus coming to do the same thing. And he will do it to replace the law. You don't need the law anymore because Jesus will come. And how will he do it? It's through his death. It's through his blood. It's through his sacrifice. And that's why he's called the Passover. So what is the Passover? Let's go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. The institution of the Passover. Exodus 12 verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. So God established, look, take a lamb. Each household has to have one lamb that represents the whole household. Now what kind of lamb was it? It was a lamb that had no blemish, it had no markings on it. It was a perfect lamb, a lamb that had no deformities, no illness. It had no uh, nothing that was wrong with it. It had to be a lamb that was healthy and strong and clean and, and everything good about it, nothing off about it. It was because it was the lamb as a symbol of the lamb of God, Jesus, the perfect lamb. So God told Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Now, in Islam, Muslim people do this till today. They follow this ordinance. They call it Bakri Eid. It's their celebration. It's just like the Passover. But they sacrifice the lamb or the goat as an offering to their God, Allah, because they said, We're following the same principle that God told Moses to follow. And they're doing that for their sins. So it was symbolic for the Jews, but now the Muslims come after that, and they also follow the same. And two billion Muslims follow this religion and this festival every year. So as a child growing up as a Muslim, I would watch them slaughter the goat right in front of my eyes. And I was shocked and traumatized. I'm like, why are they killing this this goat or this lamb? And they would take that lamb and keep it with them in their garden for a month feed it and take care of it and give it water and make sure it's healthy and by the end of the month when the sacrifice time came they would go and slaughter it early in the morning and my dad would make me watch it and I was shocked to think what's going on and he would try to teach me that this is our religious practice and this is what we do and all the Islamic teachings on it but it was a counterfeit to what the Bible speaks of verse 6 now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. So they had not only to kill the lamb, take the blood, apply it to the doorsteps and the doorposts, but they kill it and then to eat the flesh and eat it with unleavened bread. And this is symbolic of the communion, where Jesus says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood and break the bread and eat it, you will have no part in me. He was talking about the Passover supper or the Passover meal that the Moses and the Israelites would do and God had commanded them to do. Verse 11. 
and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand so you shall eat it in haste why did god say that because right after that god is going to rescue them and get them out of the bondage and out of uh, egypt so he says get ready be prepared get your go back ready and get out of there as soon as you do this because now i'm going to judge egypt i'm going to kill all their firstborn and you will be set free so be prepared don't be in your pajamas or whatever be ready to leave that's why god told them put on your clothes and get ready once you take the passover and i judge egypt they will let you go and you are you're free and the same comes along when we take communion and we are in bondage to satan god said i will release you from the grip of satan because you've drunk the blood of jesus and you've eaten the flesh of jesus which is symbolic you're breaking bread you're drinking a a glass of grape juice and that was what moses did in the natural he they ate bread and they ate the flesh of the lamb and they would be allowed to leave because they partook in that institution so he says and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand so you shall eat it in haste or in a hurry it is the lord's passover so this is what god was establishing he says it's the lord's passover the lord is going to pass over the nation of egypt where the israelites were in bondage they were slaves and god said i'm going to pass over you and over over egypt and what's going to happen was 12 for i will pass through the land of egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of egypt both man and beast and against all the gods of egypt i will execute judgment i am the lord so god says i'm going to come into this nation and destroy this nation and their gods and kill the firstborn of all the egyptian households verse 13 now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are so god says when i see the blood on the doorposts that's a sign for you and when i see the blood i will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when i strike the land of egypt so god says this plague's coming to kill all the firstborn a pestilence has come a pandemic pandemic is coming upon egypt i am sending it i am going uh, before it so that it will destroy all the firstborn it's very targeted it's not a random thing it's not a you know just a coincidence that oh this one got it that one didn't and the same with this covid-19 coronavirus it's not random if god has ordained it and god has released it upon the earth each person that dies is in the judgment of god it's in the timing of god it's in his timing god's in control he's the one who rules the universe he is the creator he is the author of life and the taker of life so god said to moses and his people you apply the blood and when i see the blood i will pass over you and it says what and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when i strike the land of egypt 14 so this day shall be to your memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the lord throughout your generations you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance so he gave the israelites this commandment it's not a choice he said keep this as a memorial remember this every year passover remember it and when jesus came he came as the passover lamb and then he instituted the lord's supper the communion which was the real deal compared to this 
and those who apply the blood of Jesus on themselves and they declare it over their families, over their homes, the Passover takes place again for you. No pestilence will come in. No plague will come near your dwelling place. Psalm 91. Because God sees the blood of Jesus now. It's not just the blood of a lamb. It's the blood of Christ. That's how powerful it is. That's why we are very careful when we take communion. It's a dangerous thing to take communion without examining yourself and checking your heart and checking your walk. Are you really obedient to God? Because there are a lot of people who take it casually and they die before their time because they disrespected the body of Christ. Leviticus 9.7 And Moses said to Aaron, Go to the altar. <coughs> Offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people. So this offering would was supposed to be an atonement. It was a, a sacrifice for our sins. That's what atonement means. We have sinned. And Jesus died in our place. And when we come before God, that is our offering. He said, Lord, your son died for me. That's my offering. There's nothing else I can give you. All I have is my sin. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness. In the old covenant, in the law of Moses, they had to sacrifice lambs every year for their sins. Today the Jews follow the law of Moses and they say, Oh, we don't have a temple, but we keep the law. How can you keep the law if you can't have sacrifices? Without a sacrifice of a lamb, you cannot atone for your sins. How are you atoning for your sins? The Jewish people don't want to acknowledge that. That without the temple and without the sacrifice of animals, your sin is not atoned. So just by keeping other parts of the law doesn't justify you before God. And what did Moses do? He says, Offer the offerings of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. This is a commandment. The Jewish people cannot keep this commandment because they don't have a temple. They don't sacrifice animals behind the house. They can't do that. It had to be ritually done according to the tradition, according to the commandments, according to the law of Moses, the way he described it, the way it was supposed to be done. And for 2,000 years, there's no temple. How are they keeping the law? Verse 8. Aaron therefore went to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Then the sons of Aaron brought the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood, put it on the horns of the altar, and poured the blood at the base of the altar. So they sanctified that whole temple area with blood. It was a very bloody, messy ritual that they had to do. And they had to physically touch blood and apply it here and there. And, and it was a messy ritual. And they had to do it every year. We're so glad as Christians we aren't supposed to do that. We don't need to do that because symbolically we apply the blood of Jesus. Leviticus 17.11 explains why the blood was used. Why all the sacrifice and why all the animal sacrifice and why the lamb and why blood? Why is it? Why does God, why does he talk about blood so much in the Old Testament? Verse Leviticus 17.11 For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement. So God says, for you to atone of your sins, it's blood for blood. So to spare your own blood and your life that has your blood, has your life in it, I want the life of the blood of that animal. That is what is going to replace the judgment on you. It will pass on to that animal. So that's how Jesus took on the judgment of God upon himself. And his blood paid the price for your sin. God could have destroyed you because of your wickedness, because of your evil ways. We were all evil. Not one of us is righteous. Not one of us is a saint. We've done horrible things our whole life. 
Just look back six months and you can see how many bad things we have thought and how many bad things we have said and how much negative stuff we have done. For that, the price is eternal judgment into hell. But when we come into Christ, it's through the blood of Jesus Christ that we have been spared the wrath of God. That's what atonement is for. For the life of a creature is in the blood and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So that was the Passover. God says, sacrifice the animal and that blood that you apply is an atonement for your life, for the sins of your life. And I will not kill you because this animal was sacrificed in your place. So it was necessary for both covenants to be ushered in by blood because first it proved the death because the blood is in the life force. And secondly, it was given for atonement. So without it, there could be no forgiveness for sins. God is a righteous God. He's a holy God. For us to have our sins forgiven, in the Old Testament, they had to sacrifice an animal and that blood had to be poured out and the life of that blood had to die. Verse 14, For it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, You shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. So this is a warning. There are a lot of people that eat uh, meat with blood in it. And God says, don't do that because the life of that animal is in the blood. And a lot of times people eat steaks that are rare and just bloody meat and they're eating it. Or there's what you call blood sausage. And there are certain dishes made in Spain and different places where they mix the blood in it. There are some places in, in Philippines and different places where they mix the blood, pig's blood, into that that dish and they eat it and it's a delicacy and whatever but God judges and warns people do not eat the blood of any animal and that's why those who are you know Satanists they drink the blood as a direct rebellion against God those who worship Lucifer those who do all kind of satanic activity they require blood but then they drink that blood as a direct offense to God because they know that principle. So Jesus' blood was shed to usher in the new covenant. His blood proved that a death had occurred, thereby enacting his last will and testament. His blood was the price necessary for this will to come to pass. In other words, it put this covenant into effect. The new covenant is not only the will of Jesus, whose blood ushered it in, it is also the will of God. So for a covenant to be established, blood has to be shed. And for a will to come into effect, if supposing uh, your, your father dies and he has written a will, that will is not in effect unless until he dies. Once a human dies and his will after his death comes into effect. It's the same way Jesus had to die and his will and his covenant came into effect after his death. John chapter 6 verse 38. Jesus says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus came not to do his own will and do whatever he felt like doing, even though he was the son of God. He said, I have come down from heaven to die for your sins, to be the Passover lamb for you, for all of mankind. John 5:19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, 
the son also does in like manner. Remember when God told Abraham, come, bring your son Isaac and sacrifice him. And Abraham was ready to do it. But right before Abraham could kill his son Isaac, the promised son, the, the son that God had promised to Abraham, that God stopped him in his tracks and says, don't do it, Abraham. I have provided a ram in exchange for your son. And then Abraham went and sacrificed the ram. It was symbolic of what God would do. Even though he tested Abraham and his faith to sacrifice his own son for, to show and to prove his love for Jehovah, Abraham was ready to do it. And God saw his intention. Yeah, he was fully committed to killing his own son just to prove his loyalty and faithfulness to God. If today God tells me, David, go and sacrifice your son Enoch for me to prove your faithfulness to me, I would be shaken up. I would be like, can I really do that? Do I really love God that much that I would kill my own son? Abraham passed that test. We are glad that we are not given those kind of tests today. Abraham was given a very severe test. But he passed it. And then God provided a solution. The same way God was saying symbolically, Yeah, you were ready to kill your son, but I didn't allow you. But I am going to commit to killing my son for your sins and for the sin of humanity. John 8:28 Then Jesus said to them When you lift up the son of man then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself but as my father taught me I speak these things and he who sent me is with me the father has not left me alone for I always do those things that please him So Jesus was saying when when I am lifted up for the father God is right with me yeah I'm going to die for your sins but he's with me and he will raise me up from the dead, resurrection, because I am the Passover lamb, sacrificed for the sins of man. John 6.53 Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. When Jesus said that, a lot of Jews were shocked. They thought he was talking cannibalism. But he was talking about the Passover. Like Jehovah told Moses, kill that lamb, apply the blood, and then eat the flesh and eat it with unleavened bread. Jesus was doing the same thing. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have eternal life. So the disciples were shocked and they were staring at him and saying, what? What is he talking about? But it was symbolic because then he took the cup, he took the bread, and he passed it around and he says, here, partake in this. He wasn't telling them, bite my hand and bite my flesh and drink my blood physically. No. He was said, this is the cup and this is the bread. Partake in this and by doing that and remembering my sacrifice and my death on the cross. Through this, you are going to have eternal life. And he says, and I will raise him up at the last day. So what is the last day? The day that the earth will come to a standstill when Jesus returns. That is the last day. And those who have willingly come to Christ and says, yes, Lord, we will do as you say. We will also um, obey your commandments and everything. And then God says, on the last day, I'm coming and I will raise you up on that day. He doesn't say Mary will come on that day or Muhammad will come or Krishna or Buddha or any false religious leader is not going to show up. Jesus says, on the last day, I'm going to show up. 
And the Muslims believe that. They know that Jesus as a prophet is coming back to judge nations. They acknowledge that. They don't understand that he will come as the son of God. They deny him as the son of God. They think it's blasphemy. Verse 55. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. So Jesus symbolically says, I am the bread of life. And this bread came down from heaven. And if you partake of this bread and drink his blood and eat his flesh, you will have eternal life. And it's all symbolic. It's not physically, like I said, you're not supposed to physically eat flesh and blood. But it's symbolically as you partake. It's a supernatural thing. It's a spiritual thing. So Jesus' blood serves multiple purposes. It enacted the will of the covenant and it was a cleansing agent for sin. If no blood was shed, there couldn't be any forgiveness for sins. So today when we struggle with sin and we're like, oh, my sin, my sin. Think of the blood of Jesus. Think of the new covenant. Think of Jesus as a Passover lamb. Run to him and say, Lord, I'm going to come under the blood of Jesus. I'm going to partake in the communion. I'm going to eat that bread, drink that cup of grape juice as a symbol of your blood. Eat your flesh as that bread and be part of your eternal life. And that blood cleanses me inside out with whatever sin and iniquity and curses and transgressions, disobedient, rebellion, all of that. So today we have two sets of people. People that are under the blood of Jesus and they are free from sin and have peace with God. And there are those that are outside the blood of Christ who are not partaking in the Passover meal and the, the new covenant and the, the communion table. They are the ones outside of it and they're struggling in their sin and they're suffering in their mind, in their soul. Their sin is still upon them. Their transgression is still troubling them. Their conscience is still bothered. You see them always disturbed, always messed up, taking drugs and alcohol and everything to try and calm it down. And it's not going to help. You need the blood of Jesus to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And then there are those that have gone over to the evil side and they've gone into witchcraft and they've gone into complete rebellion against God. And this, they are just now, they have no more conscience left. They have no guilt, no shame, no condemnation, no you know, conviction of sin. Those are people that are what, are what the psychologists call, they are sociopaths. They have zero uh, conscience. And they've completely damned forever because God has also given up on them. Isaiah 53 verse 1. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. This is talking about Jesus on the cross. Then we look upon Jesus on the cross, it looks ugly. It's a horrible sight. We don't want to look at it. It's so painful to even look at the cross and Jesus hanging on the cross with all the bruises and the bleeding and the crown of thorns. And, and here Isaiah 53 describes it beautifully. The Jewish people, when they read it in the Torah, when they read Isaiah 53, they just jump over it. They skip over it because they don't understand it at all. They don't see Messiah in it. They don't see Jesus in it because they are veiled. They cannot look. They've been spiritually blinded 
till the last day, till the day of the Lord. Then the, that veil will be taken away from their eyes and the Bible says all Israel will be saved. The true Israel, the true Jews. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Till today, people despise Jesus. They don't esteem him. They're like, oh, Jesus, don't talk about Jesus. They use his name as a cuss word. Every time I watch a movie or listen to some broadcaster or something, somebody on the television or whatever, they're using his name with bad words in it and they are despising him. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. You see what that shows you? That this is the cross. God struck him on the cross. He judged him for all the transgressions of humanity on the cross. He was bruised. He was chastised. All of the curses were upon him on the, on the cross. And by his stripes we are healed. The stripes on his back, the beatings and the bruising on his body, all that was taken for our sins, for our rebellion, for our wickedness. Jesus took it upon himself. That's the love of God. That's the passion of Christ. It's for you. When you say, oh, God doesn't love me, look at the cross and see the love of God. See the love of the Father. The Father's love is so much amazingly great. He sent his own son to die in a most horrible way as a sacrifice for our sins, for the sins of humanity. Today the world is sinning. It was going about its business, doing everything it wanted to do, completely rebellious and lawless, just running, chasing after money, money, money. They were not serving God. They were serving money. Even the preachers kept begging for money on the TV. Till today, prosperity preachers, please send your money. Please send your tithe. They're begging you for money. And then some of these false teachers and heretics are shouting and screaming on the television saying, Oh, I have authority as the prophet of God and I will take authority over this virus, blah, blah, blah. What happened? That right there proves they are false prophets. In the Old Testament, the prophets had power with God. When they would speak, it would happen instantly. Fire would come down from heaven. The heavens would be shut up. Famine would start taking place. When Elijah would call out, No rain for the next three years, no rain. That's it. That is when you knew this is a true prophet. Today's prophets, oh my goodness, huge circus. Jumping up and down, blowing shofars, running around, all the flags. and It's a circus. That's all I can call it, a circus. We had a circus come through town recently, Vasquez Brothers. They did a great job, but at least they are telling you they are a circus and they're charging you for it. you got Christian ministers who are doing the same thing the only thing is the elephants are missing, the horses are missing, and the acrobats are missing. But they're doing, yeah, they're doing acrobatics too. They're shaking and jumping and twirling, and I don't know what they're doing. The more they're dancing on the stage, the more you know they are false prophets and false teachers. The more they're running around up and down, up and down, like a crazy mad person, like a dog that's been, you know, bitten, you know those people are false prophets. And the ones thinking they have authority over the coronavirus... They are the biggest false prophets. I can name names, but those who are watching these people, they know who I'm talking about. I don't even want to take these people's names. They are so despicable 
and they are such leprechauns straight from the pit of hell and they are posing as the apostles of Christ they are posing counterfeit antichrist false christ saying i am anointed i have the power okay then come on show me where the power is it's not there you don't have it because the coronavirus is still spreading and those super apostles running around oh we are anointed of god and we are the apostles today where are those apostles today hiding hiding in their bedroom hiding shut down their sanctuary shut down the big mega churches hiding why are you doing virtual setups why aren't you there physically you're the anointed one of god go out into the public and start touching people with covid-19 go into the hospitals not one preacher worth his salt even me i'm not going to go i'm a germaphobe i'm not going to step in a hospital with covid-19 i trust in god's provision i'm like thank you lord you kept me safe my family safe our church is safe that's it i'm i'm happy with that i'm not out to prove nothing to nobody or try to put on a show for no one why because i am this is not about money it's about declaring the word of god is to glorify jesus and to establish obedience that's what we are all about anybody who knows our ministry knows we are tough on it we are so tough that we make people cry but we're not making you cry because we're twisting your arm it's the anointing of the holy spirit that's convicting you of your sin that's a sign when you know when people are crying for their sins then you know the holy spirit's working verse 6 all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all so jesus was just just beaten down and all the iniquity of the world was put on him they say oh jesus was just a man on this earth and he gave up his his divine uh, nature and just as a man he was doing all this it's called the kenosis heresy which's been widely uh, published and and broadcasted by Bill Johnson and Chris Wallatin and Todd White is another character Todd White he's like a i don't know another leprechaun from hell oh i can make legs straight he's such a circus stunt Todd White where is he now oh i'm perfect i'm sinless he actually was going around saying i'm sinless and i'm perfect i have no sin in me and that's what one john says if you say you have no sin you are a liar and you make god a liar and these people are running around very popular amongst the charismatics the charismatic circus is just insane they've lost their collective minds they have no discernment they've never read the bible and they can't discern between good and evil and that's what jesus warned matthew 24 many of these characters will be running around saying i'm the christ i'm anointed i am the true prophet of god i'm the apostle of god and will deceive many these people have many followers that's a sign of deception seven he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth that's how jesus was taken all the way to the cross the jewish people read this and they don't understand they're talking about jesus don't you remember how jesus was taken up to the cross like a lamb to the slaughter he was afflicted he was oppressed he was bruised he was beaten he was mocked he was scorned and then crucified all for our iniquity so the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all we all have iniquity we were born into iniquity david says i was born in iniquity nobody was born a saint nobody was born perfect we were all born into iniquity 
Our parents sinned. Our grandparents sinned. Their whole generation sinned. Our whole bloodline is corrupted with sin. And it's only the blood of Jesus that cleanses us of all unrighteousness and all iniquity. That's why John the Baptist declared it. In John chapter 1, verse 29, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is what Passover is. The Lamb of God has come, died on the cross. He is the Passover Lamb. And that's why Jesus celebrated Passover. And right after that, he was crucified. It was a symbol that Jesus is the Passover Lamb. And John was saying it even before Jesus started his ministry by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was saying Isaiah 53 is going to happen right in front of your eyes right now. He's the Lamb of God. He will take away the sins, all the iniquity of all that the Father has put upon him. Jesus will take it away through his cross, through his suffering, through his shedding of his blood. And we who committed the iniquity can now come under that mercy, under that grace, under that forgiveness, under that forgiveness of sin because of Jesus. He's our Passover lamb. Matthew 26, 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Jesus was already telling them, look, this is going to take place. Remember when Peter says, no, Lord, I will not allow you to go and die on the cross. And Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan, because you are mindful of the things of man, not of the things of God. Because Peter didn't understand. Peter thought, oh, I'm going to be faithful to Jesus. I'm going to protect him from the cross. And Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan. This is the Father's will. I'm supposed to go on the cross and die for your sins, for your ignorance, for your foolishness, for your blindness. I'm going to die. Then your eyes will be open. Then you will fully understand who I am. And I will still have to come back on the beach after resurrection to remind you who I am. Then you will go and serve me. That's what happens. We go to people, we tell them about Jesus, and they walk away. Then we go back and tell them again, they walk away. And then finally the conviction hits them. And then they say, okay, yes, now I understand who Jesus is. I will follow him for the rest of my life. So it's hard to go over and over and over to people and tell them the same thing till finally the light bulb comes on. That is conversion. And that's our job. We have to go and keep repeating ourselves and keep saying the same thing till the Holy Spirit comes into the picture and unlocks their salvation. It's predestined. I can't save nobody. I'm just the messenger. I'm just going to declare it and declare it and declare it. That's all we are called as preachers to do. Go and declare to the ends of the earth the name of the Lord. We are a voice in the wilderness. We're just shouting on top of our voice. People think that mad person, what's wrong with him? All he talks about is Jesus. He's so fanatical. He's so crazy. Yeah, they thought John the Baptist was the same. Crazy man. Running around with, with a leather, you know, clothing and locusts. He was eating locusts and eating a little bit of honey for energy. Talk about having a healthy lifestyle. And here we are struggling with our diet and we don't even die. We're eating, overeating. And John was eating locusts and honey. He was lean. You know, one inch of body fat on his body. He doesn't need to go to Gold's Gym or anywhere else. Luke twenty-two fourteen. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
So Jesus says, look, this Passover is coming. It's a very critical time for me. I have this intense desire to take Passover with you before I suffer. Because right after this, I'm going to go in through my suffering. I'm going to be beaten up and, and crucified and killed in the most horrific way, in the most brutal manner. And then you will know and understand the, the symbolism of this Passover and who I am as the Passover lamb. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the wine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So that's amazing that it says, Look, this is what Moses did that God told him to do in the Passover. This is your Passover. This is what you are supposed to do. 1 Corinthians 15.1 Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. So there were hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses of his resurrection. Okay? And they got so bold about it that, wow, he came back from the dead. That's what stirred up the early church to go into all nations and declare it. Jesus has risen from the dead. Now we can celebrate Passover on Easter as this Passover lamb, Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, raised from the dead. That's the hope of every true Christian. The hope of false Christians is wealth, prosperity, and health. That's when you know you're a fake Christian. You're running around saying, I'm a Christian, you're not a Christian. I saw a recent article with Joel Osteen going to have an Easter service. Who's he going to have Easter service with? Or maybe he would bring some godly people alongside and, you know, try to read scriptures and write. No, that's how you know he's a heretic. He invites Kanye West, who's a total leprechaun. He's inviting uh, Medea, the transvestite, Tyler Perry. He's inviting Mariah Carey, who's bipolar and is fully demon-possessed, and himself. That's his circle. You are known by the company you keep. And these are wolves in sheep's clothing gathering to themselves the elite of Hollywood. What has Hollywood to do with the Holy Scriptures? They are totally opposite to the Bible. So what business does Joel Osteen have to hang around with these nasty individuals? But that's his company. That's how you know who these people are. He's a heretic. And they all have a punishment waiting for them because they have denied Christ they have despised the name of Jesus. They have mocked him openly. And Joel Osteen doesn't even preach the true Christ. He preaches a false Christ. He preaches a new age Christ that will give you everything that you want. His Christ is a magic genie in a bottle. Well, that genie is not working anymore for him or for anybody else that they follow him. 
The Christ of the Bible is going to come and bring judgment upon nations. He's coming as a conquering king. And those who misrepresent him will be severely judged and condemned and, and sent straight to the pit of hell. Preaching this gospel is a powerful thing, but it has to be the true gospel. Paul warned in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, Anyone preach to you, even an angel from heaven, and he preaches a false gospel, let him be accursed, anathema. All these false preachers, prosperity preachers, false prophets, false apostles, false heretics, all of these bunch of hypocrites and this big circus, they will burn in the pit of hell because they represent the false Christ. It's the Antichrist spirit operating, deceiving millions. So wake up, wake up. Those who are in that delusion, those who are in that bubble, we're just declaring it so that bubble breaks, that God would have mercy on you and you repent of, even of all of that false teachings and false belief systems and come to the true Jesus Christ, the one who died for sin, for iniquity, for rebellion, transgressions, disobedience, lawlessness. If a preacher is not talking about it, he's a false preacher. That's a simple litmus test of any preacher today. If they're still talking health, wealth, and prosperity, they are lying hypocrites. And they will burn in hell, and they are taking a whole bunch of them with them. So stop chasing after these fake people and counterfeit preachers and come after Jesus Christ, the true Christ He's coming soon. All these warnings are just starting points. It's the beginning of sorrows. Yeah, good times will come, and then judgments will come. Like birth pangs. Bam, 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 bam. To wake us up. To bring us to our knees and say, Lord, you are God. So come into that place today. Repent of sin. It's a good time to be at home, locked up, so you can study the Word. You can pray truly. Find time to pray. There was excuses in the past. Oh, pastor, I don't have time to go to church. Oh, I'm too busy. I got this thing to do. I got a barbecue to go to, and I got to go to this party and this and that. Well, now you have all the time in the world, and there's no church. Stay at home. Read the Bible. And if you have family, start being a true man of God and a woman of God to your children. Start truly being the priest and the prophet and the pastor of your own home. Every man and a woman says, oh, I'm busy, and I got too many things to do. Well, you're not busy anymore. Start to focus on the Word of God. Put priority that God, your Lord, your God is first. More than money, career, job, banking, shopping mall, gym, whatever it is that is your God. It's all come crashing down. Now truly God is God. And this is just the beginning. Don't think this is the end. This is just the beginning. The book of Revelation is a very scary book to read. It makes me sweat. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to be part of that. Please take me up in the rapture before all that happens. And here I'm in the middle of a pandemic. I'm like, oh my goodness. Maybe I'm going to see all of Revelation before I die. So the same for you. Start to wake up. Let the Holy Spirit do that work deep inside of you. And say, Lord, help me. Just break all the strongholds in my life. Break off all the stubbornness. Break off all the ugliness in me. All the hate and the rebellion and the nasty nature that is in me. Break it, Lord. Just break me, Lord. That's a good prayer to pray. Break me, Lord. Break everything in me. God is already breaking all the, the so-called facade of society. is already broken now. There's nothing there to hold up. Everything has come crashing down. So now you can say, Lord, break me and rebuild me in the image of Christ. So, let's close and, and we'll continue this next week. There's a whole lot more scriptures. I have like nine pages. I've just done six. I have three more pages, to, but we'll cover it next week. So it'll be part two of this teaching. So next week we can 
hear the rest of the scriptures. Those who have the link and those who have the scripture references can read it and study it in this period of time and, and focus and fast. You should fast tomorrow. Tomorrow's Easter. Jesus suffered so horribly for your sin. You can fast one day for the Lord. Fast unto Him for Him. Don't fast unto God. Lord, what can you give me? What can you do for me? What can I get from you? That's not the reasons to fast. When are you going to fast unto the Lord? Say, Lord, I want to fast for you. I want to get closer to you. I want to starve and hunger and be in de deprivation so that I can come to know you. Try it sometime. Break free of the narcissism and the selfishness and self-centeredness for once. Tomorrow's a good day, Easter. One day, Lord, this day is for you. I shut off everything. I shut off my phone. I shut off the internet. I shut off all the entertainment I'm trying to watch and binge watch. All the TV programs that I missed out all this time that I was busy. Stop entertaining yourself. And get on your knees and say, Lord, all I'm going to do is study the scriptures and seek your face. One day. And see what a difference it makes. So, let's close. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. Bless your living word. Let it go forth. Let it produce a harvest. And let it be unto your glory. And tomorrow as we celebrate Easter, to celebrate resurrection, knowing that you rescued us from our iniquity and rescued us from all our suffering and our pain and our misery, our depressions, our loneliness, our hatred, and all of the negative toxic emotions that consume us, that you have set us free from that through the blood of Jesus, through the cross, through the name of Jesus. The power in the name of Jesus is enough to break strongholds. So right now we just say the name of Jesus. Let his name be above every other name. Let it be above all your strongholds. Let it be above all your priorities and all your agendas and timetables and whatever. It already is. But let it be established in your life now. Let him always be first. Not your job, your career, your money, your, your, your own selfishness, your looks, your pride, your ego and all of that. Let it be put in the trash. And say, Lord, you come first. You alone are God in my life. Nothing else. I'm not my own God. And I'm not idolizing myself for my own needs and my own wants and my fears and this and that. Lord, you are Lord. You are in control. Your Holy Spirit sustains my life every single moment. What am I afraid of? You will carry me through this crisis. You will bear me up in your arms. And you will take me over across the Jordan to the promised land. So we thank you, Lord, as we celebrate Passover, as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, we remember the cross. We remember your sacrifice for our iniquities. And through that, we are justified. Through the blood of Jesus, we are made righteous. It's not self-righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. It's through the blood of Jesus alone. Nothing else can take care of your wretchedness. It's only the blood of Jesus. So help us, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.